0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. There's an old spiritual song called Ezekiel Saw the Wheel. And over and over it talks about Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. And I remember having a recording or my parents having a CD that had a recording of that song when I was a kid and listened to that song. And this particular recording I thought kind of sounded cool. It was an interesting tune and arrangement of the song. But man, I don't think I could have begun to even describe what in the world it was talking about. And that might be how you feel a little bit as we start the book of Ezekiel today. Uh, We have finished Jeremiah and then Lamentations, a shorter book, but written by Jeremiah. That's why it's attached to uh, Jeremiah in our Bibles. And today we get into Ezekiel. Now, some background, most of what we are going to see is Ezekiel having a ministry to people who are already in exile, but even still, before the destruction of Jerusalem, so now you—if you've been reading through with us—you've seen through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and then even at the end of Jeremiah, how Jerusalem is eventually destroyed. But we also know there were some kind of waves of this captivity where some people were taken away earlier, and so Ezekiel is ministering primarily to some of those people who are already in exile but before Jerusalem is destroyed. And in chapter one, we see a vision. A vision that Isaiah has, a a vision in which Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. But what is going on here in Ezekiel chapter 1? And there's a lot of things here that are hard to understand and hard to describe. Let's just look at some of what he says here in chapter 1. In in verse 4, it says, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four sides, had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus, their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had a face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above them. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go. They went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flashing lightning. So there we see the appearance of these creatures with descriptions that are very hard uh, to understand. And, And I mean, kind of weird if you just Play it all out in a very uh, literal way. And then he goes on to talk about the wheels. Now, as I looked at the four living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of Beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. And when they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome. Now, that is not licensed right there just to say if you want, you know, better rims on the tires of your car and you just say, hey, look, it's in the Bible, right? No, that's that's not really what this is talking about. But we've read enough of it to know what is the point of what we're talking about. And one thing, even when it talks later about seeing an expanse above these living creatures and these wheels shining, inspired, like, awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. You have to understand in all of this, the author Ezekiel is trying to describe the indescribable. In all of this, he is trying to put words, he is trying to put images that he think people might understand to explain something that is unlike anything that he has ever seen. So these are the words that God has chosen for us to understand these things, but we have to realize that he's trying to describe something unlike anything he has ever seen before. And we have to ask, well, what is the point of all of this? And really, it ends up with a vision where he sees the likeness of a throne and an appearance like sapphire seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And it just, again, paints this magnificent picture. And at the end of it, what happens at the end of chapter one? Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of the one speaking. And that's where I think what we see here in Ezekiel one is very similar to what we really see in Isaiah chapter six, a vision so magnificent of the glory of God and so powerful and so indescribable. But what happens in the end is the one who sees the vision falls on his face. And so as we get into some of the details and try to think about these living creatures and these wheels and uh, what's going on here. We need to make sure that we don't miss the forest for the trees. That The big picture here is he sees a vision of the glory of God, a vision so incredible it knocks him on his face. And that is the picture of God. And, And we need to realize that God is Beyond what we can even describe, you know, he surpasses the, his glory surpasses the limits of language that, that all we can do is use these images to describe what, what it is that he saw. But if any of us were to see it, we would end up on our faces as well. And so don't miss in Ezekiel chapter one, don't be so confused by all the imagery that you missed the point that God is Awesome, beyond our comprehension that he is holy and set apart and there is no one like him. And and we need to make sure we get that from Ezekiel chapter one. And then that helps us understand chapter two, where again, like Isaiah, this holy God commissions this person. Is on their face. He says at the beginning of chapter 2, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And then he gets his commission to go and speak to the people of Israel, this nation of rebels. And he is sent to a rebellious house. And so he is going to be a prophet to them. And, And What's going to sustain him through this really is the word of God. And he's given this scroll to eat at the beginning of chapter three and he ate it and it was as sweet as honey in his mouth is what it says. And this is what's going to sustain him to go and to preach. And he's warned even at the end of chapter three, hey, if I tell you judgment is coming and you don't say anything, well, then that's on you. But if you know it's coming and you warn them and they ignore you, that's on them. And so we need to be reminded that we serve a great and awesome God. And we don't have the unique call of a prophet, but God is calling us to serve him. And we have a responsibility to pass on what we know about even the coming judgment of God. And then we get into some images where... um, Especially if you have a good study Bible, that might help you understand some of these things. But uh, images that God gives to Isaiah, things he, or to Ezekiel, excuse me, uh, things that he does to symbolize some of the things that are going to happen. But in some things that can be confusing and hard to understand here, don't miss this incredible vision of the glory of God and how that should impact us. And we should be amazed at this glory of God. And we should be inspired to serve this great God who has called us to serve him as well. Now let's move on to a couple passages that were written by the apostle John. And let's start in John 8. John 8, where we're looking at verses 12 through 20 today. And it begins with a bang here in John 8, 12, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Pastor Charlie did a great job yesterday, even just using that illustration of turning the light on in a room, uh, talking about 1 John. You know, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, we see a little bit more of why here in John chapter 8. And I mean, just think, think of a sunny day, you know, one of those sunny days where there's not even a cloud in the sky. Can you go outside during the day and walk in darkness? No, it's impossible because the sun is so bright that there is no way for you to truly walk in darkness. Well, the same is true of uh, Jesus Christ. If you truly know Jesus Christ, it is impossible to walk in the darkness. And that's not because hey, you, you know you better not walk in the darkness or you, or else you won't be a legit Christian. No, it's just saying that Jesus is so bright that if you know him it will not be possible for you to walk in the darkness uh, and that's what we see the the foundation john develops that more especially in what we read um yesterday in first john chapter 1 but it's really based here on this reality that jesus teaches himself in john 8:12 as we think about him being the light of the world and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. It doesn't say whoever follows me should not walk in darkness. No, they will not walk in darkness because Jesus is the light and it's impossible to have him and to walk in the darkness. And 1 John chapter 2, our other passage, um, verses. 2 through 14 really reminds us of that. And I think it helps us to see the directional nature. This does not mean that the Christian life is one of perfection, but the direction of our lives will be changed. Even we see that sin will be something that we continue to deal with, even as believers, but that's not the goal, right? In the beginning of this chapter, it says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so there, I think we get a sense again, not that we will be perfect because it says, Hey, if anyone sins, we have an advocate, but the idea is the direction of our lives will be different. The direction of our lives will be to keep his commandments to walk after him. And so those two passages in John help us Uh, to understand uh, those concepts and to see the reality of the Christian life, that there will be fruit in our lives, not because of our efforts or or because of the work that we're putting into things, but because if we truly know Christ, if we truly see the light, we will walk in the light. Uh, Let's wrap up today in Psalms with another Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 122. And this psalm is interesting for us because it is very focused on the place, the place of Jerusalem. Um, and, And that's different for us because we've seen Jesus say now in John 4, hey, neither on this mountain in Samaria nor that mountain in Jerusalem will you worship God. The hour is coming and is now here when people will worship in spirit and truth. So how does that apply as we read this, where our worship is not focused on one location anymore? Well, I think a couple things that that this might help just encourage us in thinking about, one is, do we value, though, still corporate worship? Uh, The Bible, even in the New Testament, corporate worship isn't focused on one place and one thing, like the temple and the sacrifices, but we do see an emphasis still on Christians gathering. Uh, And even the church is referred to as the household of God. So is there that gladness in us when they say, let us go to the house of the Lord, but also let us be reminded that the story of Jerusalem is not done yet. I believe we will see a a millennial kingdom in which Jesus will reign in Jerusalem and then a new heavens and a new earth, the centerpiece of which is a new Jerusalem. So let this also inspire us to look forward to a day where the king will reign in Jerusalem. There will be peace in Jerusalem because of what Jesus has done. As we read this psalm, let it also spark a little anticipation in our hearts for that day when we will see a vision of the glory of God and his glory will be the light of the world and nobody will walk in darkness. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.